0: I'm Abby Kenny and you are listening to Upzoned. Pass, a class, car, downtown, Don't hurt clean, Hello everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Upzoned, a show where we take one big story from the news each week that touches the strong town's conversation and we upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kenny, an urban planner with Gould Evans in Kansas City, and joining me today is my friend, Chuck Marone, author and founder of Strong Towns. Hello. How are you? Hey,
1: Abby. <laughs> it's so nice to see you. I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing great.
1: Good, good.
0: Well, you've had a pretty big week and have probably been very busy, so thank you so much for joining me today
1: yeah thanks for uh, thanks for John for filling in last week. It's I, I think this week has been crazy, but last week was intense too because we were preparing stuff that would be filed in federal court, which I don't have a long experience of doing that, so it was very intense. but yeah.
0: well, I had a great time talking with John, so it's always fun to meet John's other great. people within strong towns.
1: I think people who run nonprofits, you know, sometimes don't have the experience that I have with my board. Um, my board is very active, very involved. I talked to John, you know, there's some weeks I've I joked that I talked to John more than my wife. So <laughs> I, I feel like these, the board members that I have are great collaborators. And it's, it's always fun when people can hear from them because I I think, you know, they are part of the genius of, of what we're doing. It really emanates from these, these board members with some great vision.
0: Yeah. I love that. Of the board members that I've met, they've all been wonderful. And John was so easy to talk to. So it doesn't surprise me that you talk to him a lot. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the article we will be covering today is published in Reason by Christian Britschke, and it is called, Minnesota Threatens to Fine This Engineer for Calling Himself an Engineer. (laughs) So that engineer is you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah. Yes, it is. This is one of the many articles detailing the recent lawsuit filed by you at Strong Towns against the Minnesota Board of Engineering Licensure in Federal District Court. This all comes from a complaint made to the licensure board alleging that you violated Minnesota law by speaking about reform and engineering as an engineer due to a licensing technicality. So that technicality being that you had forgotten to update your online bio when your engineering license had lapsed by accident in 2018. And it lapsed because you had moved and you were not actively practicing engineering. So you did not receive a renewal notice. Uh, So when you found out that it had lapsed, you immediately reinstated it because you are qualified fully as a professional engineer and you are currently licensed, as I understand, uh, through 2022. But the core complaint of the alleger is that you were represented as a professional engineer on your Strongtown's website biography, and it, it was not changed during the time that your license had lapsed. And because of that window, the person is saying that you are a fraud. And to be clear, you haven't done anything that requires you to be a professional engineer since 2012. You haven't stamped any drawings, anything like that. You've just spoken about reform as a recovering engineer. So this is something that you've attempted to resolve with the board. You were willing to pay the fine and everything. However, the board won't accept resolution unless you sign a stipulation order stating that you had engaged in conduct involving misrepresentation and that you had made untruthful or false statements. So at this point, it seems pretty clear that this board is seems to be intentionally exploiting a technicality in their enforcement powers in order to discredit and silence your reform efforts. So as Reason brings up, this, this is really raising some serious First Amendment issues. It brings up the question around whether the government has a business in policing the truth or falsity of speech in general. That's a brief summary of the lawsuit that I wanted to talk about with you today. Obviously, there's a lot of fundamental questions I think we could discuss today. And if I have left anything out, please feel free to fill in the gaps. But I I think the outcome of this lawsuit has some pretty serious implications for reform in in the engineering profession and concerns around licensing boards and whether or not they will attempt to use their authority in an an inappropriate way to quash dissent and criticism of a professional practice.
1: It sounds bizarre. And I felt very weird explaining this to reporters and others this week because the way that I explain it, I really, you know, I mean, obviously I have a point of view and I think that this is ridiculous and should not be happening, but it's, it's hard to explain it in a way that doesn't sound really bizarre, really weird. And I, I guess the, the best way to think about this is that inside the engineering profession, there are a, a number of people who believe that the professional engineer designation is a sacrosanct kind of thing that is only to be used by this small group of people who have licenses. And whether you believe that or not, I mean, that's actually codified into state law. I don't happen to believe that, but it's neither here nor there. That, that is what the state law says. And I think, you know, if I'm to acknowledge, and I, and I freely acknowledge this with the board the first time they contacted me, My license lapsed, I'm embarrassed about that. I kept up my continuing ed. I kept up all the things that I was supposed to do. I didn't fill out the form and send it in. Uh, It's not that I wasn't qualified or couldn't have got a license. I'm just, quite frankly, I'm writing a book. I'm doing a book tour. I got like all this stuff going on. I never, ever, ever reference my license. Like I don't sign plans. I don't stamp documents. I don't do any of this stuff. So I never like have to look up my number or write it down. I didn't even remember my license number, quite frankly. And so I forgot. And yeah, when I found out that it had expired, that very day I renewed. And so there was this period of time, and I'm, I'm embarrassed by it, I wish it hadn't happened, it, it's kind of sloppy, where I wasn't licensed. I think the thing that is you know bizarre is that I, I feel like most people grasp that. Like most people don't understand that. Like you made a mistake, okay. I paid the after the fact fee. I didn't do anything that required a license in the interim. So, like, let's move on. And I kind of thought that that is what would happen. It's really bizarre that today we are sitting here with the board insisting that not only am am I a fraud, but that I was dishonest and that I was uh, untruthful to them, to the public. I misled the public. And they're insisting that that be an order that I sign. Like, basically, I acknowledge that. I told them I would pay an extra fine. Like, I'm fine with paying extra fine. I'm fine with saying, like, what happened. But, um, you know, the person who filed this complaint wanted me to be labeled by the board as a fraud because of this, you know, gap in my licensure and the fact that my bio said I was a licensed engineer when technically my license had lapsed. I find it just baffling that the board is actually doing that, you know, like that – Somehow they find it in their mission to, you know, verbally tar and feather me in that way, and I, I'm. It's hard to explain because it doesn't make any sense, and I think for me to try to ha- explain it to people in a way that makes sense sounds almost makes me sound disingenuous. You know, there's been a couple of people that wrote this week in different places. Uh, you know, this is a you're telling a one sided story, and I'm I'm really trying to tell the story like the way it actually is. But it's so crazy that it doesn't uh, – it, it sounds very one-sided. It, it, to most people who are not in the engineering profession and don't deal in this world, this does sound kind of kooky.
0: Well, not only that, but to me, reading through the detailed posts that you guys put out you know, this week, you talked to me about it last week. And then when I was reading through this, I was just thinking to myself how silly this all is and really how frivolous it is. And this is not the first time that someone has filed a complaint against you. And there was another one that was also very frivolous because they were saying that your reform efforts were reducing public confidence in the profession of engineering. And I think that that is not a valid critique of the work that you do at Strong Towns, because it's really my perspective as someone on the outside of the engineering profession, that discussing, discussing reform doesn't happen in a top-down kind of way. And censorship and using professional expertise to force your will onto others is actually something that diminishes public trust, especially in this kind of new age of information where you have people who are actively looking for new new information and they want to try to understand the world better. I think that what you're doing at Strong Towns is incredibly helpful for people to understand why our the significant public asset or liability our public space is designed the way it is and to be able to have language to critique that and to think more critically about it I would argue that Strong Towns is actually improving confidence in the profession and that members of the public are able to engage in how we shape society in a more active and informed way. So I just think it's important because professional expertise, and this is not just the engineering profession, it's the planning profession. It's all professions. There are biases that are entrenched within the status quo and the way we do things in the engineering profession. A lot of bias stems from overvaluing auto traffic movement over health, safety, and welfare of citizens in our society. And this obviously has huge implications for how we design and revere our most significant public space, um, our street infrastructure, how we're designing that. So I just think we have this situation where that that we as citizens all share we share this space that has just been bastardized by a professional class, and and that's something that we should be able to critique.
1: I appreciate that. I I feel like as an engineer, I am proud of the profession. I'm proud of licensure. I'm 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 actually not like an anti-licensing people, which there are a lot of people who I think would like me to be. I do think that licensure, you know, there is a role. If if, if we're going to have people building bridges and designing, you know, uh, spillways and and other things that have direct impact on on public safety, I, I do think that we want to have licensed individuals do that. I, I I think there's a role here. One of the the things that I was aware of prior to this week was that a, a number of other engineers around the country uh, and other people who have been in this space have been similarly attacked through the, the, the licensing system. There's a, a famous case that went to the U.S. Supreme Court of an engineer in Oregon who is an electrical engineer, but actually figured out something that civil engineers had messed up with traffic light timing, did the math, showed them that, and and the result was the licensing board attacked him for practicing engineering without a license and, and saying that he was a professional engineer when, in fact, he you know, didn't have the state license to say that. I remember a few years back, there was a, a couple of people who were serving on a bike committee. I think it was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It was somewhere in Arkansas. They were just people who volunteered to be on a bike committee. And the engineer came and presented something. And they disagreed and, and kind of argued with the engineer and had said, let's look at these plans more closely. And I think we can fit a bike lane in there. And the engineer turned them into the state licensing board for practicing engineering without a license because they were giving feedback on a set of plans. These are horrible instances of essentially insiders abusing the system to try to stifle conversation, to try to protect themselves, to retaliate against people. I'm aware of some of these. This week, I've been astounded. Because I've had people contact me and said, this happened to me. I've had a dozen people send me their stories this week about how this has happened to me time and again, you know, and and you get these instances and they're instances where like we had this one woman yesterday, Andrea Mar, we invited her to come speak at, at our briefing that we did. And she said she was running for office. And she has, you know, she works with a company that does engineering work overseas. She's licensed in Washington state. She lives in California and someone attacked her because she said she was a licensed engineer well, and she wasn't licensed in California. So, but she was standing in California and living in California. So, you know, she never claimed to be, but she had to go through this whole process of proving herself and, and, and responding to the board and this whole cloud over her and her life and her professional pursuits. It just is dirty, right? I think the thing that has made me sad is that I do take pride in my role as a professional engineer. I do take pride in my license and I take pride in my profession. And it's sad to see it sullied in this way because it really feels like like dirty, like, like dirty tricks. Like this is kind of something that nasty people would do to each other not people who are in a profession. I mean, I I called the last guy who made the complaint against me and I'm like, you know, and he, he was, he did not like me. He does not like me. And I said, well, you know, why didn't you just call me and tell me that my license was expired? Like, I mean, that's kind of like a collegial thing to do. And he told me, he said, cause then you would have fixed it.
0: <laughs> this is not being done in good faith. And that seems pretty clear. And what I think is more concerning than an individual making a bad faith complaint to the board is that, that the board seems to be unwilling to be unreasonable about this, which to me, just as an outsider, not an engineer, it that seems incredibly unprofessional to me that 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 they would allow someone to, you know, use these rules in a really bad faith kind of way and to be unreasonable and you know just, just not not to try to work with you and it it also kind of makes me feel like they are unwilling to withstand scrutiny and something that i've been thinking about and you know i've just been thinking about this week the The point of licensure, and obviously there there is a point of licensure. I would say um, maybe there's people who would agree with me. I think that um, when I walk into a building or drive across a bridge, I like to know that I'm not going to die when doing that. And I say that living in a neighborhood that was built um, a very long time ago, so you don't always know when you walk out onto something if um, it's structurally sound. So that that's a great. That's a great thing to be able to feel like you um, have faith in the built environment. But in addition to that, can can you really have expertise, professional expertise, without some type of process of reform and evolution? The point of professional expertise to me is that it is a foundation for practice that withstands scrutiny over time. And by stifling scrutiny, how can you really claim to have expertise in something You've called it an infrastructure cult before, (laughs) and I I think that that's a pretty accurate description of a profession regime that attempts to silence its critics. And because expertise is created through an ongoing process, kind of like how science works, it's a process that requires scrutiny and critique. Uh, Without it, it is a cult. So we know that biases are entrenched within expertise and I, I would say just look at the planning profession in the mid-20th century. At the time, people were driving highways through cities and intentionally segregating society by race and class. And these people were considered experts, right? And without us criticizing these types of approaches, what kind of society would we have today and where would we be heading? So the, the Minnesota Board of Engineering Licensure, for them to attempt to in my opinion, slander you as a reformer is very telling to me as a member of the public because it makes me think that they are unwilling to withstand the test of scrutiny that all experts should not only be able to be held up against, but in my opinion, willing to be held up against. If we are going to claim to be a profession in any field, we should be willing to to stand up to scrutiny and to have our ideas tested? Uh, otherwise, they're they're not strong ideas.
1: You said you want to be able to cross a bridge, confident that you're not going to die.
0: Is that so much to ask?
1: No, but but <laughs> let me say but let me say this because I, I think this is a this is an important nuance. Just because an engineer designed a bridge doesn't mean it's not going to fall down. It doesn't mean it's not going to collapse. It doesn't mean you're not going to die. And and I I think that's important. And that's not a slander on engineers. Because what protects you from the bridge collapsing is not the engineer and the license. What it is, is it's a process that stands behind that license. And that process is one that says, when there are mistakes, we will fix them. When there's knowledge to be learned, we will learn that knowledge. We as a profession are dedicated to each other and to to constantly learning and updating and fixing the things that are wrong with our profession. And so many bridges have fallen down but we try to learn from them many roads have failed we try to learn from that many dams have burst and, and and things have gone horribly wrong and and this profession is supposed to take all of those things and learn from them i feel like what has happened and and really this is a big byproduct of the fact that our approach today is not working, and it desperately needs reform, and it desperately needs the system to be opened up to more people and more voices, and, and And it needs to become less parochial. I feel like what has happened is that because this this need for reform is so overwhelming the engineering profession is kind of bifurcated into into two camps the the one camp is the camp that says you know open it up strong towns it says like let's let's talk about all these things let's reform this stuff and, and the other one i think is kind of typified and this is trying to be generous to the board because i think there's also a nefarious way to view the board but let's view them generously i think generously they are now so obsessed with protecting in a sense the profession by you know regulating the use of the word professional engineer the words professional engineer they feel like it's it's in order to protect the profession they need to you know focus on those words as opposed to actually protecting the profession by embracing voices of change and voices of reform and conversations where those things should happen to me that's what the licensing board should be protecting, is the process. It's not the engineer that designs the bridge to make sure that they are properly using the term professional engineer in the right instances, and their license hasn't lapsed for any period of time, and they have all their continuing ed. Fine, do that part. But the overwhelming part, the part that should be the obsession, is what is the process that we are going to use to learn from our mistakes, to better ourselves, to come out at the end of this in, in a better place? And the fact that they are unable to do that, I think, to me, is indicative of the second group of engineers, the one that is kind of trying to cling to a certain level of power, a certain level of influence, a certain level of, of financial you know, position in in the marketplace that was given to engineers after World War II that desperately needs to change. And, and, and that's what we're, we're doing at Strong Towns is trying to change that system. And so I understand why they're why they don't like us intrinsically, why they might not like me. But I I think they're doing a disservice, not only to society, but I think they're doing a disservice to the profession they're supposed to uh, represent.
0: Well, and let's get to the fundamentals of your case, because this all stems from a lapse in licensure, right? But that's a product of the way, I'm guessing, the way state statute was written. But just because your license had lapsed doesn't change, it doesn't change your background. It doesn't change your level of knowledge and expertise. It's a license. So that's something that I think is very frivolous about all of this. And even kind of going through it, it just seems silly and unprofessional that to them on their part that this is really even an issue because it's such a minor technicality. From my perspective, since you aren't actually somebody who's practicing engineering, um, you are speaking as a professional engineer. And j- just because your license laps, lapses doesn't make you any less qualified to speak on what you're speaking on and write about the issues that you're talking about.
1: Well, let's be clear about one thing. Their core of their argument is that the use of the words professional engineer in my bio is practicing engineering. And I think that's where, you know, we have this divergence because to me, and I think to most people, and and I think to state statutes and the First Amendment, practicing engineering actually means engaging in professional activities or, you know, commerce or something that would actually constitute building, designing Stamping plans, preparing specifications, overseeing construction, doing some actual engineering work. The fact that you have professional engineer in your bio uh, and you're not seeking any work, you're not doing anything you know related to the engineering field in terms of practicing, to me, that, that doesn't constitute practicing. That's what I said uh, when I renewed my license. There's a little box on your license that says, Did you, have you practiced engineering? And I said, no. And then they sent me a letter and said, have you practiced engineering? And they asked three questions. Have you signed any plans? What projects have you worked on? I'm like, none, none, none. I answered all of them, none. And then they got back to me and said, because you had PE in your bio, because you had PE on your business card and, and professional engineer in your bio, you were practicing therefore you lied to us on your application you lied to us in your response to us and you you lied to us and i think this gets to the the, the first amendment case you know the broader anti-licensure movement which there is a broad anti-licensure movement and they've called me this week and we talked <laughs> i don't think I'm, i don't think i'm yeah i don't think i'm one of them right but um but we're allies in this they look and say you have to have an overwhelming reason to regulate speech. And they point to court cases where people have lied about their credentials and lied about things. And the Supreme Court has said, no, the state does not have a compelling interest to decide who's being true and who's being false. It's really an interesting, it's kind of an extreme. It's taking my case, which is an inadvertent lapse in licensure, and it's essentially attempting to rewrite or, 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 you know, strike down codes that are in dozens and dozens of state legislatures, uh, in, in dozens and dozens of state rules and statutes saying things that about licensing. And I, I, here's the funny thing is like, if that is, happens out of this, if we wind up dealing this huge blow to licensure, I am a reluctant warrior in that fight. Like that's not what I'm setting out to do. Um, but I feel like that's what I'm being pushed into now because of the way the board has interpreted their mandate and the way they've applied it to me.
0: That's fascinating to me, first of all. I haven't given a ton of thought about licensing boards in general and how valid they may be. Um, I work around a lot of licensed professionals, architects, people in the building professions. And to me, it is, like like I was saying earlier, this institution that is intended to make sure that people don't don't die and that the people who are constructing things are constructing them in a way that that ensures you know what is it public health safety welfare but but to me in your case what the Minnesota board is doing has nothing to do with public health safety and welfare and in terms of your criticism of the engineering profession's monopoly on public space design, there's an argument that they are protecting a status quo that does just the opposite. It's actually harmful to the public in terms of how we design streets, for example, which is a big part of your criticism for engineering streetscapes. So,
1: I've actually called the profession itself grossly negligent in terms of like standard (laughs) practice, right? And gross negligence is a legal term. I believe that standard engineering practice is malpractice. It is gross negligence to a large extent. Taking highway standards and applying them to city streets is gross negligence. It's institutionalized within the profession. I think that needs a change, right?
0: Exactly, and it's something that we all should be standing up against we should be opposing the people who are saying that we need 12 foot lanes on all of our neighborhood streets like the thing that is frustrating to me is that people actually are dying because of the way our streets are designed i know people Th- who have thousands died thousands
1: of people every year yes <laughs> it's like i know yes. people who have
0: been hit by cars i i know people who have been injured and who have died like this is something that actually happens and We have designed our city streets in a way that is um, just unacceptable. It's completely unacceptable and we need to take back our city streets from this cult that has all of this power and how how these spaces are designed because they have this bias that the intent of this space is to move people through it as quickly as possible. And that is not the values that are shared with many, many people. I think people who don't even have Strongtown's language and aren't even really aware of it, you can talk to regular people about these issues and they inherently get it because streets are not for just moving traffic as quickly as possible so everybody could, could move quickly during their commutes. It's something that has to change. So I am glad that you're taking this on. It's such a frivolous situation You'd hope that it wouldn't be this frivolous as you're taking it on, but here we are.
1: There's a lot of feedback on this in different places. And one message board where people chatting about it said I was being, I was being petty. Just shut up and sign the thing, you know, you're being petty. It was a guy who was a, a licensed engineer who said that. It's interesting because in some ways it is petty. It is really it's kind of frivolous. But on the other hand, what we're pursuing as a movement, Strong Towns, what we're pursuing as an organization in terms of, of reform it is really significant. And, and it's going to save thousands of lives. I mean, that's a big impetus here. The book I've got coming out in September, Confessions of a Recovering Engineer, it starts and it's all based around this one street in Springfield, Massachusetts, where a young girl was killed when her, her and her mom were walking across the street. And how it was preventable and how we could have done things differently. And I go through and I analyze it in all these different ways. We're really talking about people's lives. And it sounds petty, this lawsuit does. And and this whole thing sounds petty. But on the other hand, we need to see huge reform. And and I don't want the reformer to stand up in in Springfield or stand up in Kansas City or stand up in Brainerd, and say I'm you know reading from the Confessions book. Or I'm reading from Strong Towns. Or I've 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 downloaded this thing that they put together, and this is what I want to see, and then have the engineer stand up and say Yeah, you know you realize that the guy who put that together. Uh, was found a fraud by the state of Minnesota. You you realize that the guy that put that together, the state licensing board said that he, you know, made false statements and, and did things uh, that uh, he got censured for by the state. This seems petty, but like, I can't accept that because it's not just about me. If this was just about me, I'd sign the stupid thing and move on. This is about something way bigger than me. And, and I think that that Was the thing I was naive about at the beginning, you know, I looked at the licensing board as being upright and forthright and, 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 you know, judicious and people who were volunteering their time to serve in this capacity to, you know, look over the profession and that they kind of shared the values of, you know, quite frankly, most engineers that I know, which are most engineers that I know do not oppose strong towns. They, they want to figure this stuff out. They're very good people. And I think I was naive. And and, and my naivete was exposed throughout this process when, you know, I said, I'll sign the form. I'll pay the fine. I'll admit that my license lapsed and that I continue to use the thing PE. Just take out the language that I lied and take out the language that I misled people. And they said, no, we won't do that. That has to be part of it. And I can't understand why that would be part of it. I mean, not only because... I didn't lie, and I didn't mislead anybody. To me, when you look back and look at places where they've done that is where people have claimed things that they weren't qualified to do, or they said they were an engineer when they weren't, or they said they were an architect when they weren't. I've never done any of that, right? Like, that's just silly. It got to the point where there's really only one explanation here, and that is that they agree with the engineer who filed the complaint. They want to make an example out of me. And they're retaliating against me and they want other engineers who might speak up and who might get out of line to know that there'll be ramifications for them if they do we can't let that happen we can't let that stifling of speech uh, become the norm in this profession
0: yeah don't ever sign anything that is untrue about yourself i mean it's it's completely frivolous i think on their part it's unprofessional this whole situation and I'm glad that you are taking these steps to defend yourself and to defend a lot of people who want reform. Uh, So I appreciate you doing that.
1: Thanks, Abby. This has been really hard. I first got this complaint last July, and I I take it very personally. I I am ashamed. I feel bad. I I feel embarrassed, and I don't like talking about this because I did make a mistake. I mean, I should have renewed my license. I let my license lapse. I didn't intend to, but I, I did, and I, I wish I hadn't. It, it's embarrassing to have to work with my colleagues and say that I screwed this up, and it, it's embarrassing to sit here with you and say it. But at the end of the day, there are obviously a lot bigger things. And I've had so many people contact me this week and just say, hey, we're, we're with you. We're standing with you. You keep going. Uh, we got your back and uh, the, the outpouring from this movement and the people that are involved with it has been overwhelming. So thank you, Abby, for your kind words. And, and thank you to everybody who has reached out and, and said nice things, because e- there are times when you know, doing this, you feel very alone. And you know, to get that kind of uh, feedback from people uh, means a lot. It really does.
0: Well, on behalf of everybody who agrees with you, thank you so much.
1: Hey, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And,
0: and don't feel embarrassed because it, your licensure, that lapsing doesn't change your expertise and your background and your ability yeah. to speak on these issues. So again, very silly premise for, for all, all of this and very unprofessional on their part. So.
1: Um, I know. I keep thinking about my grandfather this week because it's Memorial Day. We 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 do this on Friday, and it's Memorial Day in a couple of days. And I always spent Memorial Day growing up with my grandfather, who was a, a World War II Marine. And I've been thinking about him this week because I know what he would say. He'd say like, "What'd you do? Come on, come on." He would like knock me alongside the head and go, "Come on, boy. Like you're you're smarter than this. Like why didn't you fill out your license?" And I'm like, grab. I'm busy. Like I got a lot of stuff going on." And he'd say, "Come on, come on, Chuck."
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not much of a paperwork person either. Uh, so that's, um, I,
1: I, I am not, I have a staff of people and you know, they all have jobs and they're all working independently of me, but I have some, ask them for help in taking care of, uh, forms and other things too. Cause it's not my, uh, not my forte either.
0: Yeah. But, it takes, eh. takes everything out of me to deal with anything that is paperwork. So I, I completely understand just not being a paperwork
1: Yeah, I have circled with many alarms now on my uh, biannual calendar to renew my (laughs) license. So Google will send me many reminders that this needs to be done. Yeah,
0: Yeah. not a bad idea. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. But before we get done here, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of the show where we can share anything that has been captivating our attention lately. Um, Chuck, have you been doing anything this week that is outside of uh, your
1: lawsuit? Well, last weekend, I felt like I really needed to chill. I usually save all my fiction for the end of the year, and I kind of just needed something to relax my brain a little bit. So I worked in the yard, and I listened to an entire uh, John Sanford book uh, called Ocean Prey. It's his latest one. He does these Lucas Davenport series. It's book 31. Oh, my gosh, I just looked it up. I've read all 31. It's just a police... uh, Drama kind of thing, fiction, a lot of fun, and you know what I'm doing right now? As soon as we are done, I'm walking home. I'm meeting my uh, 16 year old, and her and I are going to. You see what I'm wearing?
0: Oh, fun! Twins game.
1: Yeah, awesome. Do you know who they're playing tonight?
0: Uh, Is it Kansas City?
1: The hated Kansas City Royals. Yes, (laughs) I I don't hate the Kansas City Royals. There's a there's a friendly rivalry because we're in division, but. Yeah, your team started off really well and then has, you know, way better than they should have. And then it's kind of faded. My team had the most abysmal start I've ever seen a a good team have and are trying to claw their way back now. So, well, I
0: I guess I'll just say in advance that I'm sorry for your loss.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. She's (laughs) throwing it down. Okay.
0: Yeah. I I don't watch baseball admittedly I know a lot of Kansas City people will be sad to hear that I don't really even understand how it's played I've been to games I feel that it's very slow moving you know I grew up in St. Louis and watched a lot of hockey over there and so I really like hockey but there's no hockey team here so you know baseball has been has been tough for me to get on board with it but I'm sure that we will win tonight
1: well, anytime your 16 year old daughter says, I want to go to a ball game with my dad. Yeah. You say yes. Uh, you say yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's very cool. So your 16 year old thinks that you're a cool dad still?
1: Um, You know, we, I have my moments. Yeah. yeah. When, uh, when you know, other people aren't around, I'm not bad.
0: Okay. So I'll, Fair I'll, enough. I'll take it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't really been doing really much of like Anything media related over the past week. I've been um, getting out on my bike between storms. It's been, I know everybody's curious about the weather. It's, It's been raining almost all week. And so I've been getting. I
1: saw the photo of your bike. Sweet ride.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I've been on and off my bike doing city rides. The trails are too wet to actually ride on. So. I've just been taking the mountain bike out on the city streets, kind of getting a feel for it. It's a new bike, so it's, you know, takes some time to get adjusted to the differences, but it's just such a game changer and so so different. There's two things that are really different about it. And the first is that the seat is adjustable. I don't know if you've ever seen this before there's like a, like the seat, you can move it with your, with your handle, which is pretty cool. Huh. Yeah. So okay. when you're going uphill, you can move it up and going downhill, you can move it oh, down. Oh,
1: I have not seen that. Yeah. It's
0: really cool. Um, just like how a chair works.
1: You, you mean adjustable, like on the fly? Because yeah, uh, My seats have all been adjustable, but you mean in, in motion. Yeah.
0: Like this. you, you push oh, the wow. lever and then you can sit down on it and, and it moves down and then you can stand up and press the lever and it moves up. So that's pretty cool. The other thing that's different about this, um, besides everything, is that it it has these pedals that are like spiky because it's for mountain biking. So you have to get special shoes for it, like vans, like skating shoes. So I got some vans, you know, you use these, these spiky pedals and your shoes don't move. So it almost feels like you're clipped into it. So, yeah, it's like a – you you feel like you're, like, really connected to the bike. And I told you that I'm going to learn how to do jumps this year. Yep,
1: <laughs> so yep.
0: I'm going to try to not destroy – Yeah, I'm going to try not to, like, destroy my knee and the rest of me. But, um, yeah, I want to start practicing so that when I get down to Bentonville, Arkansas, my favorite place that that I have – you know, some practice under my belt and I can make full use of this bike.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for the video.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna have to practice a little bit before we do a video. I I I don't want to send you a video of me falling over my bike.
1: No, I want the bloopers too. (laughs) I promise not to share them.
0: (laughs) Oh, great. Well, yeah, hopefully hopefully my husband doesn't start taking blooper videos. He probably would. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks for joining me today, Chuck. And thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Upsound. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Chuck.
1: Hey, thanks, Abby. Take care.